Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Work Stoppage, uh, your favorite podcast that covers almost exclusively labor issues, uh, union struggles, and, of course, the coveted meme review at the end. We are entirely <laughs> listener-supported, so if you want to throw us a few bucks on Patreon and get access to our overtime episodes... Uh, we'd really appreciate it, and I'm sure you're really going to like them. Don't forget to jump in the Discord if you haven't already. And I am joined today by our regular lineup, uh, Lena and Dan. Hey, how's it what going, up, everybody? Back from vacation, back to the yeah. grind. <laughs> That's what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah, you were you were doing a, a personal, taking some personal time. Absolutely, uh, as all workers are entitled to. Was, That's right. Uh, That's right. Was able to enjoy some time by the lake, and that was uh, that was very relaxing. Ready to get back into it. All right, well, well, let's just let's do just that, right? Yeah. Speaking of getting back into it, well, we'll follow up with the Chicago nurses who have won demands to hire more nurses and increase wages. So, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, over twenty five hundred Cook County employees and nurses were on strike, demanding better pay, better working conditions, and that the county not raise workers' health care costs. The nurses with National Nurses United, who went on a one day strike, have approved a new four year contract after winning many of their demands. So this is just cool, and it's always cool to see more action from one of the most radical uh, healthcare worker unions in the country. Yeah. So as we discussed like a, a couple of weeks ago, this was launched as sort of a like two front simultaneous strike. There was a, a one day strike by the nurses to, to bring attention to, you know, these big understaffing problems that they were having, which was, of course, you know, leading to them being overworked in, in an already incredibly stressful work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the SEIU local 73 uh, in Chicago, representing uh, various, you know, Cook County health employees uh, in, across, you know, various disciplines, also went out on strike to demand, you know, a better contract and for similar issues. Like, and so now we have half of that has has gotten a successful resolution where Cook County Health has agreed in, in this new contract that the nurses have agreed to agreed to wage increases, to hire 300 additional registered nurses within the next year and a half, and to convene an infectious disease task force in the event of an infectious disease emergency. And so, like, if, you know, basically in response to the issues created by the pandemic, this was something that the nurses had been pushing for because this task force will consist of both uh, registered nurses and managers who will meet regularly to make recommendations on how to make sure that they're providing the safest care for patients and to provide a safe environment for nurses and other healthcare workers. So right. basically this is, is helping make sure that the actual, you know, workers out there keeping people safe are the ones who are having a say in how that environment is run. Because, you know, as we know, they're the ones doing this work. They know what these conditions should be. I, th- I think that uh, it's super important that uh, they're that making or that one of their demands was to hire more nurses to bring more people in, because not only is that going to empower the new workers to be like, hey, the union fought for us to even be here. And then also for the benefit to the workers that exist already to lower the intense workload without right. lowering wages or work hours. I, I think that one that's a, a demand that is not always brought 
uh, to negotiations, though in the healthcare industry, it's incredibly needed. And and the idea yeah. that you're demanding more people be hired is is really really cool. Yeah, it's it's cool to see that these unions not just uh, you know fighting to ensure the rights for the workers that they currently have, but fighting to create what you could consider like a just and equitable workplace, at least by the standards that we're accustomed to in this country today. And it's really cool to see that the other Cook County employees represented by SEIU Local 73, which are things like technicians, medical assistants, custodians, clerks, and others, uh, are remaining on strike despite, um, after nine months of negotiations, despite what they say is Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle's attempts and her bargaining team's attempts to pressure them into accepting minuscule raises while simultaneously increasing their health insurance costs by 70 to 80 percent, which if you know anything about, like if you've ever had a paycheck uh, and health insurance costs have been factored into it, you know what a huge fucking chunk out of your your take-home money uh, health insurance costs can be. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, and this is, you know, it, it's something we, it is one of the biggest themes in all of these strikes and is, will be in several other stories that we're going to talk about. But because I think one of the things that people you know, who don't necessarily follow labor news or only see it when the the broader mainstream media talks about it is the assumption that it's like, oh, well, uh, strikes are just, you know, they're just about wages. Right. But like, you also have that lower pressure, not just like, you know, trying to increase your wages to, to better reflect the actual labor that you're, you're putting in at your job, but also where you have these other costs where the companies are trying to foist onto the workers to eat away at that. And like trying to essentially almost double <laughs> these right. people's healthcare costs coming out of a pandemic is just an absurd demand, especially because like, you know, you always see, cause this is one of those situations where it's a little different than some of the other strikes because it's, these are public workers. So, you know, they're working right. for the County, but like in so many of those sorts of strikes, you always see like, well, look, we're the state government just, we, it's the government's fault. They didn't pass the tax increases we need. We don't have the money, but nobody in the country can do that right now because of the fact that the stimulus flooded every single one of these states with a huge amount of money that, you know, they are of course now trying to figure out how to funnel off to the various uh, donors and corrupt groups that the, the politicians would love to send that money to. But these workers remain on strike 18 days after it started. Um, and they've, I was looking at their, their Twitter feed earlier this morning and they've got all sorts of great picket line yep. videos out there, big energy out there on the line. Um, and, and they mentioned, uh, in, in, in one of their statements that they've received a ton of support from the local community in Chicago. They've raised, uh, to over $20,000 so far in just public donations to their strike fund. So like in addition to the funds they've been able to raise like within the union. Um, and last Wednesday, uh, some of the striking workers held a sit-in at Preckwinkle's office to deliver a solidarity letter from local faith and labor organizations calling on her to settle the strike and agree with workers' demands, basically pointing out that they're, they're like, well, you know, if we just send this letter, you know, via mail or email, it's very easy for these folks to disregard it. So let's just let's go and deliver it in person. So they, uh, they can't quite say that. And, and, you know, of course that resulted in like the County leadership basically hiding in their offices and refusing to meet with the striking workers. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, like we handed a letter to our boss one time and he wouldn't even take it. 
I, we put it on the desk and 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 he and he brushed it into the trash with like another object. He took one piece of paper to make sure to never touch the paper and brushed it into the trash. <laughs> what a it, fucking idiot. It, it's I just mean, like that it really does put pressure on them when you show up in person and you say like here we're fucking delivering our demands in person and it's especially acute when your demands are healthcare related and you work in the fucking healthcare field. I mean already with COVID and with the uh, sp- continuously spiralingly dismal state of American healthcare in general, uh, we're seeing this be a frontline issue for uh, workers in all kinds of different fields. I mean, when we talked about the Allegheny steel workers, their beefs with the company almost entirely revolved around healthcare. Uh, but it's got to be an extra kick in the teeth when you are literally working in the establishments that you would have to go to to receive healthcare. And your employer is telling you, like, we are going to raise your premiums. Uh, we are going to raise your costs 70 to 80 percent. Yeah. And, and this is one of those things that I don't really think often gets lumped in with other sorts of austerity measures, because you'll right. have folks recognize that, like, oh, you know, privatization of healthcare, privatization of various government services form the core of, of what those, you know, neoliberal austerity measures are, but this is another big part of it, which is taking things that obviously, you know, should be a, provide, they should be a right provided by the state, obviously, but under our previous, you know, form of lightly social democratic capitalism, this is the sort of thing it was understood. Okay. We don't have a state healthcare system, but the reason for that is because the, you know, your company is going to provide that. And so now as a big part of that, that neoliberal austerity agenda is not just, you know, privatizing as many services as possible, but also trying to foist as much of the, the, the burden of the cost of those benefits onto the workers themselves. And so it's like you said, it's, it's really good to see these folks standing up against that. And, and they had a good statement um, that they put out after the, the sit-in that said, we are Local 73, the Cook County workers who kept the county running during the pandemic, the strikers who shut down the county building last week, and the union that will continue disrupting business as usual until we get the contract we deserve. Hell yeah. Awesome. That fucking rocks. Yeah, so, I mean, it seems like they've got the community behind them, and, you know, it, it's it's time for the the for Cook County to, you know, admit that what they're asking for is completely reasonable and well within the ability of the county to fund and and, and meet these demands and, and offer these folks an actual fair contract. Right. Absolutely. It seems like the Cook County unions here, the SEIU and everybody are just like really stepping up and taking it to the next level, which is uh, exactly what we love to see. Yeah. And I mean, in that same kind of vein of, of, of like really good worker actions, we can follow up additionally on the UMWA miners who were, uh, if you remember, were the ones who were getting getting hit by vehicles by yep. by scab or or you know like covert pinkertons basically uh attacking the the picket lines uh they are actually they're still on strike because the company has done nothing the warrior met has done nothing to actually do anything except for escalate the violence and yep. and um and i guess we just really have a a, a few statements 
from from the picket line itself. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 meat and potatoes of this story is really interesting because you're seeing these workers kind of get to the end of their patience, right? Uh, these UMWA yeah. miners at the Warrior Met coal mine in Alabama have been on strike for over three months, continuously stonewalled by the company, uh, and they've been bringing in scabs. And then the UMWA workers have been arrested repeatedly and, uh, as we've said before, have had cars driven into them for uh, forming picket lines and blocking the entrances to the mines and then they were wearing tank tops uh on june 15th that said scab bullies yeah the 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 basic development here it's it's not that there's been you know a gigantic change in the strike because this is continuing warrior mets strategy of just trying to use scabs to wait out the umwa force the workers basically to drain their strike fund and, and try and essentially you know besiege the workers Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the thing though with, because this is, this is coming out of an, in these times article it, that's right. been interesting to see has been the evolving tactics of, of the UMWA workers, because obviously, it, you know, as you mentioned, these car attacks, which have, you know, been such a, a big focus of right wing, uh, violence against protesters have now obviously, you know, become a new tactic for scabs and, and companies to attack protesting workers and so you sort of had a like spartacus moment here almost with this with a recent action by these workers where you you were saying on the 15th they decided well you know this is really dangerous just blocking the road with our bodies so why why don't we just block the road with trucks hell yeah and so they had hundreds of workers and, and and other supporters drove a bunch of trucks up blockaded one of the entrance and then basically got out and would refuse to acknowledge who the trucks belong to. So, <laughs> so you have all these workers standing, you know, arm in arm uh, together with tank tops, as you were saying, these camo tank tops that say scab bullies on them, <laughs> standing, you know, shoulder Pretty to shoulder. Cool. The, and, and so the police, who have, of course, as always, been working essentially directly for the company as strike breakers Mm -hmm. come up and they're like, all right, all right, who's in charge. And, and the response from the local UMWA women's auxiliary unit is everyone. We are the UMWA, which is that, that fucking rules. And, and cause that was the thing is, is, if you do these in like, you know, an individual way, what we've right. seen, and you see this it, another crossover between counter protest tactics and union busting tactics is how the police and, you know, other, other security forces will specifically try and identify leadership in order to harass them because the thought is, you know, you, if you can weaken the leadership, then the strike will fall apart. And so the I really really like this tactic where they're just like oh, we don't know who put the trucks there. It's these, <laughs> they belong to everybody. <laughs> That's the, so the fucking awesome. Like just refusing to acknowledge like whose truck is whose and being like we don't even know why those are there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> how know? those like, get there? <laughs> it, it's like Very it's like strange. some real some some real like closed mouth community. You know, it 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 reminds me of and you know these these are things no that no one talks uh, and we all walk. You know, yeah, no one talks <laughs> and we all walk. It's it's like the fucking Omerta with the fucking five families. Like you don't acknowledge that the thing exists and it keeps you out of an incredible amount of legal trouble. Like I'm not saying that like unions should be more like the mafia, but like take selective lessons <laughs> from organized groups that get shit done. 
And you know, if if imitating tactics or whatever is is a, is a great way to go because like eventually they towed a bunch of the trucks, right? And then they arrested like 11 of the union leadership and the mm. police were like, if you do this again, we'll hold you in jail until trial instead of letting you out, which is just kind of like, will you though? What if we bring even more trucks, you know, or someone does like, <laughs> well, and with, and with this kind of a tactic where it's not, you know, necessarily focused on one or two or 10 leaders, right. You can do this with different people and different stuff. And so if their whole thing is, well, the first time we arrest you, it's going to be a warning. It's like, okay, well, we'll just cycle through everyone yeah. and not acknowledge what the, what the leadership is. And, and yeah, I, I really like that they, they've got a couple quotes in here that I, I obviously are, are you know, reflective of the, the frustration of how long they've been being stonewalled by Warrior Med and obviously the local constabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in here from the, a longtime UNWA member, Braxton Wright, said, Miners have always been their brother's keeper. They've always stuck together as a group, even outside of work. And it's funny because they also interviewed, they also mentioned a quote in here from the strike action where they were asking one of the miners basically, well, why did, uh, why did, why did you guys basically do this? Essentially, it was characterized as a more aggressive strike tactic. And they summed it up perfectly in one short line, which is this playing nice shit ain't cutting it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and that's that, my and, favorite line in the article. Yeah. yeah. No, because it's like, look, if Warrior met this fucking gigantic coal company that's profiting off the destruction of the planet is, is going to be out here, you know, running people, run, attempting to run people over. There was another story like in between when we last reported on this, where, uh, the wife of one of the striking miners that was also hit by another vehicle attack. Right. Then, yeah, you got to shift up your tactics and, and say like, look, if, if the company is going to play that way, so are we. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think this is still showing a quite admirable amount of restraint from right. you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there was another quote. It's not in our notes here, but I think, um, that uh, representative from the women's auxiliary also said like, we know about Blair mountain. We know about mother Jones. We know Harlan and we know what it takes to move a company. She says that's hard for people to understand if they have never been a part of this. And like, if you're, you know, if you're a coal miners union, you have got to know (laughs) like there, there is a real militant history here. There's a history of like violent armed conflict sometimes. Um, And you can't be, you can't shy away from that because that is that's just the, the battlefield is this is going to happen on yeah. yeah yeah that's the thing it's like people will people will always bring up this shit about like oh the the leftists are trying to start a class war it's like no 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 no. the class war is already on we just mm-hmm. want us to also be fighting back yeah we just want to like not lose <laughs> right that's like that's the, pretty much it the the extreme level of violence engaged by the ruling class on a day-to-day basis like means that the these acts of resistance are nothing com- compared to the the level of, of violence they're willing to, to meet out. So I, right. I really appreciate that that these folks are standing strong in the face of this like awful 
you know, right. that's the other I thing. Think that what, what is it? Like there's people running people over on the picket line with trucks and their, their quote unquote violent response is to put up truck to park right. trucks in front exactly. in a line. Like that's the cut. That's the, the violence that is, you know, from the left or whatever you want to say right. when it like, which totally, if you want to condemn that is a, is a not acknowledging the fact that there are literally people trying to run people over with vehicles. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that, that these folks are acknowledging that, you know, look, if, if these are the kind of tactics that the company is going to bring out, miners got to adapt and, and <clears throat> bring out their own tactics just, uh, in the same manner. So hopefully the, the, they're able to keep this, this energy going because it does seem like warrior man has basically no intention of, <laughs> of actually, you know, argue of bargaining in good faith and coming back to the table. No, right. none at all. Yeah, they're following in a in a proud tradition of coal companies of just being some of the most demonstrably evil, yeah. uh, right on their face corporate entities in the United States. Wow, what a perfect segue into our next article. <laughs> uh, because yep. we're going to be covering Amazon, uh, doing a little follow up on on their new one of their newest ways that we've seen that they've been uh, doing anti labor practices, and yep. uh, it's setting people up on plans for improvement without their knowledge or consent. And and it's a bit more sinister than just that. Uh, basically, they have all of these quotas and, and, and different sorts of systems, these kind of metrics that are, are that dictate their day-to-day actions. And uh, certain individuals are placed based on, you know, whatever performance that Amazon has decided on these systems that, uh, specifically are designed to ramp them back up and, and to, and to to extra exploit people who might not be meeting quotas. Yeah. So I, I'm sure like, I, I think I'm sure we talked about this before. One of the things that at least in, you know, like when you're following this labor stuff that Amazon is, is notorious for is they're basically in, they're having quotas and insistence on firing every year, the quote unquote lowest performing right. X percentage. I, I've seen numbers between six and 10% of their workers just basically to, you know, quote, cut the chaff. And as a part of that, they've got these quote unquote process improvement plans or uh, perform no performance management plans called that they call their internal name for it is focus. But, and, and I'm sure anybody, you know, this, these sorts of things have become really popular at companies as a way to, you know, get employees to essentially make themselves work harder because of fear of looking bad on these performance plans. But the twist in the way Amazon has been using them, and this is, this is coming from investigative reporting by the Seattle Times, is that. Amazon's internal documentation for their managers specifically tells them not to tell employees when they've been placed on these performance improvement plans. And these plans, like once you've been put on them, that essentially marks you as like one step from basically being fired. And they have, they have a quote here from the internal guidance that says, quote, do not discuss focus with employees. Instead, tell the employee that their performance is not meeting expectations, the specific areas where they need to improve, and offer feedback and support to help them improve. Which, you are gussying this up with PR speak to s- essentially say that, yeah, so any of these employees that we've decided we'd like to get rid of, 
don't tell them that their job's in danger because, well, you know, then they might actually improve and it might be harder for us to justify firing. Right. Or it exactly. can create labor unrest of some, some form or another. When people's jobs right. are at risk, their livelihoods are at risk, and you know, people rightfully will uh, you know, do something about that. And, and so the more that they keep the work conditions a secret, especially when it's—this is literally disciplinary action. This Absolutely. is disciplinary action on the employees being kept a secret. I mean, imagine having a secret file where you've been written up three times and you don't even know, and then suddenly you're fired, and it's like— what the fuck yeah i mean yeah. that's that's what's basically coming down here and there's a whole there's a whole shielding and hiding and obfuscating of the punitive and disciplinary like level of this uh obviously just right on its face because they don't tell the employees that they're disciplining them but then what that also allows is an enormous opening for personal and uh you know ethnic or religious or other types of uh, discrimination. Uh, And then that stuff is able to be swept under the rug because everything can be masked as just like, oh, well, they were added to this personal improvement plan and they didn't work out. And it's like, well, you never told them that they were on a personal improvement plan. And uh, we see this play out in some of the examples here in the article. Yeah, they they have uh, the examples that they specifically use in here are from sort of the the office side of Amazon. So they they have an engineer who joined the company in 2016 and found out that he'd been on this performance management plan, basically you know marked as as a potential layoff. That he'd been on this plan for 18 months without being told about it, and only wow. found out because his manager changed. And the new one came in and was like, oh, by the way, you're on this plan. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you did a quote Jesus and said, no one would tell me what my status was. I ended up in this weird nebulous performance hell for a few years. They, and then as to, to go with on exactly what you were saying, John, like the, the other big example they had in here was a, an Amazon Web Services employee who uh, is a, a person who's not a U.S. citizen and is a person of color who's working on a team with, you know, mostly American uh, citizens. And she learned that she'd been placed on the performance plan in 2020 only after she requested a transfer to a different department, which that transfer was then flagged for further review because she was put on this plan that she had no idea she was on. Right. And and she pointed out specifically that, that she suspects that likely the reason that she was put on that plan had nothing to do with her actual work performance and was the fact that, you know, that she's not an American citizen. She's a person of color. And so, because that's like you were saying, this sort of secretive disciplinary measure gives management the ability to basically declare somebody unperforming for any reason that because it's secret, they don't actually have to back it up with anything. So they could just say, I don't like you for whatever reason and just say, Oh, you're, you have bad performance. And this particular employee had been so high, her performance had been so highly rated at her previous position that her, her current team had petitioned for her transfer to that team and sponsored her work visa. So yeah. there, there, there can be no illusion that like we're, we're overblowing this and like she really was underperforming or whatever. Like it, this doesn't even follow its own internal logic. It's a sham. It's an illusion. Right. I mean, like most companies like a, like a Starbucks or something, at least just have a, a like I, I think I said in a different 
thing recently is like they've got a book the size of the Bible that you're supposed to fi- follow, yeah. and and if right. you man and if you manage to you know mess up one thing, they're going to cite that, but they're going to use it as a form of discrimination because you know not everybody's going to get that sort of treatment. But inside of here, there is still that that same rule book that is super right. thick, except for they don't show it to anyone. They don't tell you that you're being reprimanded based on it, and then there are repercussions that include you know either higher workloads or just straight up firing out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, well, I mean, this really is just a testament to how slickly evil Amazon really fucking is because keeping this shit out of the view of employees is a great way to avoid conflicts. Like, one of the things that pissed off my managers the most when I worked at Starbucks is if they ever cited the employee handbook at me, I'd get it out, read it, and walk around (laughs) citing it to them. Like, you don't cite this shit at me. I cite it at you. And Amazon's like, they can't cite it back at us if they don't have access to it. And unfortunately, uh... that seems to be working quite well for them. Yeah. They, cause in an, in another like piece of reporting by the Seattle times, they had found, you know, more internal Amazon documents where Amazon themselves say that they expect a third of the people placed on these performance improvement plans to leave the company, which mm-hmm. like just shows you that it's like, this isn't about improvement. It's about, making this a a way to eliminate employees the company doesn't like while, as you were saying, minimizing conflict. And the other thing about it, though, I I think that is is so damaging about this sort of thing and specifically the secrecy around it is this has to just create or at least reinforce basically this culture of fear and paranoia that anybody working at Amazon has to have because- absolutely. it, like if you find out from a coworker that they've been on some management plan like that for a year and a half without knowing about it, how do you know you're not on one of those? How do you know you're not, you know, one con time? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's fucked up on so many levels that it, it yeah. that this sort of insane because this this really gets to everything that is shitty about the way companies use metrics because like obviously you know we see that used in all sorts of industries to essentially force workers into speed ups and 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 to use abuse right to work as a way to you know fire people for any reason but this level of secrecy just is just makes it even more perverse yeah yeah well and it, it, it it's it's echoes of the same kind of like Benthamite utilitarianism that you see in a lot of different places. Like something that stuck with me ever since I was a teenager was that like my teachers would frequently talk about how like our school system is becoming more and more standardized and is going to rely more and more on personal metrics like they do in, in China and Japan, because those are the countries that are beating us in education. And it's just like, like so many other things, uh, a counter example, just like naturally, revealed itself in Finland, not a perfect country by any stretch of the imagination, but their education system is incredibly loose. They just kind of let the kids teach themselves. They teach them in small groups. They get a lot of playtime and they do better on their tests than anybody except China and Japan, which is like insane. And the, the, you can see the same thing in, in Amazon. They're trying to engender this culture in the schools, in the workplaces, whatever, which is like, we're policing you in a totally inscrutable, uh, esoteric way that is way outside of your understanding. So you better fucking police yourselves. Absolutely. Both, you know, internally police yourself and police your fellow workers yeah. or classmates or whatever. Like, and it's that, that's the, that's the disease of like modern 
uh, like uh, saber metric addled capitalism brain. Yeah, it's just a uh, you know, so it's a way to do the panopticon with neoliberalism. Yep. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Well, it's a way to let the panopticon happen, which is even more sinister in some right, ways. Right, because no know? one. I mean, like it doesn't even at some point if they do this project enough, there it won't matter if they're actually putting anyone on these reviews. Everyone will assume they're on them. Well, right. and they're going to develop some even more convoluted system. That's the thing is like uh, these these major corporations, especially tech giants like Amazon, look at their logistics chains and look at their management structures and they look at all this shit and they're like, this is a computer c- program. This is Minecraft. There's going to be an update yeah. every year, year and a half and all kinds of like, by the time we get done talking about Focus, there will be a, a new program Amazon management is launching called Vigor and Vim that is going to like... <laughs> reward the hardest working yeah. horse in the glue factory or whatever so uh, you know i it, it, it's it's really difficult to to tackle these uh, wow. kind of like soupy and nor- i mean this is why we need the teamsters and this is why we need other major unions to step in and be like it's time to do something about amazon somebody yeah. large enough to like really affect that kind of change yeah absolutely and so to move on to a different sort of situation slightly smaller company Uh, the next story that we've got this week is a story, uh, another story out of Chicago. This is a very Chicago themed episode. Uh, This is at what I've been told is pronounced Portillo's, (laughs) Yep, uh, which is, you know, a big chain in Chicago specializing in, you know, Chicago dogs, Italian beef, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so recently workers at basically one of their like, centralized, you know, food production facilities that provide, that prepares the food that is then served at their various restaurants. A whole bunch of the workers there went on strike from June 28th to July 5th to protest the same stuff that we see for most of these places. Awful working conditions during COVID, intensification of labor caused by not replacing people that left during COVID, and right. as always, incredibly low wages. Uh, the, the workers that, that walked out on this strike say that management failed to replace their workers who left during the pandemic instead expecting them to, you know, perform more labor while offering them the incredibly generous 35 cents an hour raise. <laughs> Ouch. What a fucking slap in the face. That's, and it's lower than the, we were just shitting on Trader Joe's the other day for doing 50 cents. And that was, that yeah. was shit. Yeah. Well, and yeah. this is on the heels of all kinds of other stuff. Like you have this quote from Patty Cordova who says, I was working before four days a week and now I'm working six days a week. The company refuses to give us overtime. We are tired of the injustice of having us work double. Which is like, it is insane to make people work double or to like use COVID or whatever else, like the economic recession, whatever, as like an excuse to shuffle around your workers and be like, oh, you used to work four days a week. Now you work six days a week. Here's 35 cents an hour. You'll take it and be happy with it. It's like, absolutely not. (laughs) How about fuck you? You know, you have 50 locations across the Chicago area. You can pay us more than this. And and now that, you know, we've got all this nonsense reporting in the media about the well, there's a labor shortage because nobody wants to work anymore. I'm like, well, you know, maybe people would be more willing to work for your company if you weren't trying to work them to fucking death during a pandemic. And then when they have to work twice as much because people are, you know, understandably leaving (laughs) these shitty jobs, your offer to them is, oh, well, here's an extra 35 cents an hour, which on like a normal 
quote unquote normal. I'm sure these folks do end up working quite a bit more than 40 hours a week as, right. as a lot of workers do. Like even on a 40 hour work week, that's only $700 for the whole year. Like that, yeah. that's the raise you're going to give people who have essentially been working doubles. Like that's a, that would be a shit offer 50 years ago. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be a shitty bonus. Even if they offered yeah. it as a bonus, even if they were like, here's $700. Thank you for working for the company. It would fucking suck. And it would be outrageous and unreasonable. I mean, you should always fight to get raises instead of bonuses anyway, but like, right. Yeah. There, there's no element to this that is, uh, that even remotely reflects a good environment for the workers. And they've said like, uh, you know, workers reached out to arise Chicago, a 30 year old worker center founded by diverse faith leaders for assistance. And they said, we have tried to engage in talks with management at several levels, corporate, the plant manager, human resources, none of them have responded to us. So we created this committee, this group, and we go by the motto, an injury to one is an injury to all. Hey, that's which one is of my just favorites. Like, fuck <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, best case and, scenario, we're a few years away from me getting a Chicago dog from a worker-owned cooperative. <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. And this, I will say, just to, to, one thing about this article, I mean, obviously in these times, good outlet, but they did fall on one of these things that that I know, like, Lena, you've always pointed out on here, because the, the article repeatedly says these non-unionized workers, these workers who do not have a union, it's like, no, they don't have a recognized union. Oh, they yeah. have an organizing committee. They absolutely have a union. <laughs> right. That's right. And, and so it's, it is just, and, and I mean, look, they're out here using, you know, basically the IWW slogan. You're telling me they don't have a union. Like, I don't, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, but, exactly. And, and it's funny to see them basically, you know, have the same response that you were, you were saying about before where, you know, you were trying to deliver a letter to the manager and he's like, no, no, I can't touch it. I can't acknowledge it exists. Right. And, and, and so they're what? trying to present, present their demands to their managers who allegedly told them, if you don't like it, go home. And so they're like, all right, fine. We're going on strike. Fuck you. Right. And, and we're seeing the normal tactics from Portillo's in response to this. Uh, they're, they're saying that the workers are a minority who don't speak for the staff. Uh, they're bringing in scabs and they're even intimidating, sending intimidating letters to the strikers, threatening to fire them if they didn't return to work. Uh, Arise Chicago says the latter is an unfair labor practice and has filed charges with the NLRB, so that's very good. The company eventually agreed not to discipline any of the strikers, and they returned to work together on July 6th. And Jesus Victoria said, I have mixed emotions because we know the struggle isn't over yet, but walking in after our strike... I felt capable and courageous demanding what is just, which is really awesome. So we're hopefully going to be seeing future action on this topic from these workers. Uh, and then to the credit of the In These Times article, it does raise a good point here where they say, while the striking workers have so far not faced any retaliation, they know that could change as soon as the media attention dissipates and they have vowed to keep organizing until they win the rights they deserve. So yeah. like literally, if you if like just follow these people on fucking Twitter or whatever, and if you see that they're out organizing, if you see that they're out on, you know, doing a strike or doing a protest or whatever, go fucking take a video of yourself at the thing and post it on Twitter. One, you'll get sweet, sweet notification dopamine. And two, it'll be for a good cause. Like, yeah, 
I think that one thing that is really, really interesting that the I want to go back just a tiny bit to where the company decided that they would not reprimand the strikers, which right. would be literally illegal. It's like like as if yes. that was some sort of kindness from the right. company that yeah. they didn't decide to break the law. And you want to know something? <laughs> That's actually really true. Like like because companies break the law every day. There is wage theft every day. I mean, like there is not like just think about the time it takes you to get in your car and go to work. You should be being paid for that. I mean, and even just things like like just I don't know the idea that they were like, oh, and we we decided not to discipline them. That's actually a threat in its own right. That the idea that the company said that they're like, well, we decided out of the goodness of our hearts to not not reprimand you for for going out on strike even though that would be illegal we would do it anyway it's like it's like i this reminds me of the 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 free smells we would charge you for them if we could you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely a very much an implicit this time at the end of at the end of the whole yep. we've 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 chosen not to discipline you but like to to your point john like with very much customer facing businesses like, like this, you know, restaurants stuff where, you know, image is, is very important to companies like this. If you, like you're saying, if you're in the Chicago area, you see strikes like this going on, like, yeah, it may seem like a small thing, but if there's hundreds of people, you know, posting stuff and like adding Portillo's like, yo, why the fuck are you treating your workers like shit? Like, you know, I don't know that I can go to this restaurant you know, while you're treating your employees like bullshit, like that sort of stuff adds up that that sort of Chicago dog is one made with exploitation. Yeah. I mean, like I, it seems silly, but in, in especially like regional favorites, like beloved local chains, shit like that, like their image is incredibly important to them. So like if you make some fucking social media intern run screaming into their manager's office, their manager is going to have a crisis day about it. And like that might not seem like a whole lot, but that is a weapon in in the unions, in the workers' arsenal that you're helping strengthen when you go and do stuff like that. And what were you going to post anyway? Like Shinji hitting a <laughs> bong? Come on, you can do better than that. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, like it's, it's very encouraging to see like the, the quotes coming out of these folks who are basically recognizing the power of that solidarity, even just from that, that one week. So I, 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 this is, I think, like you're saying, probably going to be, we're probably going to be hearing more from these folks. And so I think this is going to be a good story to keep up on. Right, and on the thought of things that we're going to have to follow up on, we're actually oh, yeah. going to be hitting a strike that's starting literally today. The workers have that's just right. gone out. And and honestly, we were talking about it a little bit before we started, that there's kind of a very unique thing about the way that this strike has happened uh, in the way that there are – there's one union – at this plant, at this Pepsi uh, plant in Munster, Indiana, uh, but there are two contracts, and and there's a weird conflict going on. Yeah, this is a strange one. Which I started reading it, and I was like, okay, this seems stri- pretty straightforward. And I got into the details, and it became very weird. So this story, like like Lena said, is about basically we've got a whole <laughs> group of delivery workers, truck drivers, and and support staff at this Pepsi bottling plant in Munster, Indiana, who uh, are going on strike today after they rejected Pepsi's, uh, you know, best and final offer. 
that would have massively increased workers' healthcare costs. You know, right. running theme. And, and these workers are represented by Teamsters Local 142. And they mention in here, uh, according to uh, one of the drivers, Tom Albano, the union wants the worker paid health insurance program. The union wants to, to the worker, the worker paid health insurance premiums to be capped at their current rate of $14 a week. The company's counteroffer was to raise the worker's share by $20 a week in each year, ultimately ending out at $81 a week by the end of 2025, which wow. is That's almost six times the amount they are currently paying for health care. Yeah, and, which and is like he has a quote, fucking yeah, acceptable. Yeah. Well, no, like, I mean, like, this is just what you see everywhere. And it's like, I know that I've harped on this before, but it's like, this is why we need universal fucking healthcare in this country because, like, so many union resources, and rightfully so, are being spent on trying to secure inexpensive quality healthcare for their members when, honestly, this shit should have been taken care of already and is already taken care of in not just socialist countries, but almost every other relatively wealthy country on the entire fucking planet. Yeah, like fucking insanely right-wing countries all over the world have universal health care. Yeah. But it's it's too fucking profitable for the United States to to keep the, you know, the death cult of private health insurance going. So... And then they, 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 they've got a quote in here, like basically saying exactly that from, from this Pepsi transport driver saying, we shouldn't be paying for this in the first place. This is a multi-billion dollar company. And the raises the company is offering is not going to cover or barely cover what your increase is going to be in your health insurance. And, and one of the, the great things from, from this gentleman here that he mentioned, because he's, he's 62, so he points out that you know the, the health insurance increase wouldn't really affect him that much because this is going to be likely his, you know, his last contract before he retires. But he specifically said as part of this news interview that he voted against the contract because he doesn't want these sorts of changes to fuck over all the, the younger workers and folks who will be hired in the future. Hell because yeah, Mr. Albano, what a fucking <laughs> righteous old dude. I love this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, we see so often Companies trying to do, you know, two tier contracts and trying to split older workers from younger workers in all these ways to, to break up solidarity. So seeing the folks who they are trying to pit against the younger generation be like, no, 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 no. That's a bunch of bullshit. I'm not falling for that. I'm going to stand right. up for all the workers under this contract, not just, you know, take my bid and go home mm -hmm. well and, and i think that it's one one good thing to point out is because we do actually have some international listeners is that you know 14 dollars to 81 dollars maybe even doesn't seem like that much really in in like the grand scheme of how much you would make in a year but really you have to take into consideration that there are deductibles there are co-pays there are tons of other costs associated with health care in the united states it is not just uh the premium and then you have health care i mean this is right. additional ways that they're trying to like take nickels and dimes from every single person so that they can keep stacking up their profits I, I I don't know if they uh, are planning on increasing the deductibles or anything like that, but that's often another thing that they will yeah. often try to do. And there's, as we gestured towards earlier, there's an additional complication with this whole strike process because these. Uh... No, so so that yeah, this, it's it's a very weird story because yeah, this yes. is the first time I've heard of this sort of setup. It it may be common, but it's the first time hearing of it. So this is a single bottling plant 
all the workers are represented by the same union, Teamsters right. Local 142. This bottling plant, you know, has production lot side and a delivery side. But despite being represented by the same union and working for the same company, the production workers have one contract and the delivery workers have a separate contract. And that has resulted now in the bizarre situation where both organizing committees and, and both um, groups within the factory voted on their contracts this weekend and the production side voted to accept the con- their contract okay. and keep working while the delivery workers voted to reject it because of the problems that were previously mentioned and, and go out on strike. So you now have this extremely strange situation where the same local now has to basically arrange a picket line in such a manner that other folks in the same local don't have to cross directly through their fellow workers to go back to work because they, the production side did accept their portion of the contract. And then it's additionally stipulated by Pepsi that if the workers, like it's part of their contract that if they have a contract, they must work. So yeah, it, it seems yeah, like you know, one of the no is, strike clauses, right? So it seems like this is a ploy by Pepsi. They were like, well, let's just give one side a contract. We bet they'll vote for. Let's give another side a contract that we bet they won't vote for and then force them to fucking take it because the logistics of trying to arrange a picket line and a strike during this are a fucking nightmare. And I mean, to their credit, the delivery workers were like, well, we'll just strike anyway uh, and f- figure it out. I guess, but yeah, it's bottleneck of production. Well, it's so bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. I mean like, you know, if the delivery drivers stay on strike for long enough, they're, yeah, they're going to have to call off the production workers eventually too. But it's like this, this really seems like an insane arrangement. Uh, and I, I I don't know, like did the teamsters let it happen during the initial (laughs) organizing? Was there like some kind of, cause I could see how this might be something that was originally envisioned to give the union more flexibility. But then the company like capitalized on it. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I think it's really just that they the they are like, oh, the jobs are so different. We can't have you on the same contract. Uh, okay. And uh, I, I imagine that this was not a decision by the union. I imagine yeah, this yeah. was a decision by the company in the first place. Right. Yeah, yeah they they have a quote in here from the the uh, Harvey Jackson, who's a local 142 vice president who has said that he's working on trying to set up some arrangement for the picket line so that production teamsters can go to work, but aren't having to physically cross the picket line in in front of the striking union drivers. And he says, quote, where we're going to be picketing at, they probably won't have to go through. Unfortunately with Pepsi's contracts, it's in there that they've got to go to work. If one rejects the other one still has to go to work. Unquote. So I, it seems like this is a arrangement that basically Pepsi, you know, tries to use to its advantage, which it clearly is at yeah. all these plants. But the big problem I have with this is that these guys, these workers are not represented. Like this isn't an upstart, you know, tiny new union that has no sure. resources and is, you know, going to have a real struggle really fighting against a gigantic multi-billion dollar corporation like Pepsi. These are fucking teamsters. <laughs> this is the union that just voted to take on the biggest commercial behemoth in the country, right. Amazon, saying that, well, this is how Pepsi writes their contracts. Guess we can't do anything about it. And we just have to accept it, which like 
is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I, I, I don't understand why they can't just, uh, yeah, I'm sure Pepsi came in and said, you have to do it this way or we're not going to work with you. But mm-hmm. that's not that's how the that point, works though. Yeah, <laughs> the point of having yeah. a labor union <laughs> is to say, okay, then nobody's going to work for you and you can't make any money. Motherfuckers. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Like, I, I mean, like, look, I, I, I'm glad the Teamsters have, you know, done some great stuff like voting to, to try and do this very important work of unionizing Amazon. I've heard a lot of good stuff coming out of that, but this sort of thing, it just seems like the only reasonable case to be made here when you have both these groups represented by not just the same overarching union, but the, obviously the same local is that mm. look if you're con- you offer one group of us a bullshit contract like this that raises your yearly healthcare costs not not just the premium not even like you said before not including copays from essentially $700 a year to over 4000 then fuck you we don't care how good the other contract you offer the That's group right. is we're going on strike until you offer a reasonable deal for everyone solidarity yeah. right so yeah yeah uh, as we like to do sometimes, because I mean, you know, you can get a little hot uh, talking about some of this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We very like frustrating. To try to end on a slightly more positive note before the meme review. Uh, so what we're going to talk about is Iceland and their move to a four-day work week, uh, and and how it shows that it not only serves uh, like the workers, but actually it's doing okay for the businesses too. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, this is one of those things where, you know, you'll see a million memes about like, you know, uh, the the 40-hour work week and how it's like, yeah, you know, you put in some work each day because if well, the 40-hour work week at this point is a pretty artificial construction. Uh, and so there anybody like as you said, anybody who's worked a job knows that, you know, it doesn't really take 40 hours of work to get the work done that whatever your, your job Uh is, it it needs to happen. And so really what that, all that is doing is, is sucking out more and more surplus labor from workers that companies can get in the form of profit. And so, as you said, uh, over the past five years, Iceland's been running this trial of doing a four day work week, which, and this isn't, uh, even like going down to 32 hours. Uh, It's going down to basically, right. That we covered before. Yeah. Yeah, So this is, this is a a work week where you had basically four, nine hour days. So workers would work 35 or 36 hour work weeks instead of 40, but they would keep their overall salaries the same. And they, they ran, you know, they started with a very small scale trial. It started with the, just the, the Reykjavik city council and then moved on the net. They kept expanding it as they, they kept doing it to eventually include more than 2,500 workers, which uh, uh, amounts to about 1% of Iceland's total working population. And in a result that will shock no one moving to a 35 or 36 hour work week for the majority of people did not cause a disaster that caused Iceland's economy to crash or cause all these places to go out of business. And, and no, they were not going to be able to produce it. No, everything ran perfectly. They, they, 
You're you're wait, you're, wait, wait. you're telling me that the that being stuck somewhere for exactly eight hours a day, five days a week is not actually relevant to the productive <laughs> capital of the place where I live and work. That is incredible. Wild, you're right? telling me you're telling me that when I do my entire 40 hours a week of work in five hours and then watch YouTube for the remaining 35 <laughs> that I could literally just be at home during that time and get paid the same. That is wild to me. That seems unfathomable. Right. Well, and it even says here that that because of this, the trial that was happening, that uh, the unions in Iceland had done a big push to get this to to be a thing. And so now 86% of Iceland's workforce has moved to this exact thing. And I mean, I think that that should be a good uh, thing for any unions around here to bring up is to say, hey, it works there. There's no reason it shouldn't work here. Right. Yeah. It's not like... Iceland is some, you know, magical exception that has some sort of hyper-efficient capitalism. Right. Uh, like, again, like, everyone knows that if you are able to go to work and you're not fucking run down by having to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, you can get a lot more shit done. Uh, they, they mention in here that Workers reported feeling less stressed, less risk of burnout. They said their health improved, their work-life balance improved. They had more, you know, they had more time to spend with their families, do hobbies, complete, you know, run errands, all that sort of thing. Like, which, of course, like, again, this is one of those stories that it's, I feel like really kind of the response to it is real indicative of like where you're at in your class ideology. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like if you showed this to most workers, they just be like, yeah, no, of course. Like everybody, you know, could tell you that workers who aren't being run into the ground by working more hours for no reason are going to be more productive workers. But I think if you show this to a lot of the management class, you're going to start getting all this hand wringing and well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we got to stay competitive and all this, you know, bullshit. But like, I mean, these are the kind of gains that you can get. Like if you, here's the thing is like, I, I do advocate for a socialist revolution in this country, but like in the meantime, these are the kinds of gains you can get from like a left kind of social democrat i mean i wasn't the pirate party uh relatively (laughs) popular and in power for a little while in iceland Mm -hmm. fairly recently i mean like they have a cool still fairly liberal but like mixture of of political groups who really are trying to improve the lives of icelandic citizens and it's like that's not out of the question i don't think that you can place this kind of like confidence in the democrats or anything in the united states but in the union movement potentially absolutely you know like that could be the kind of like social democratic movement that could potentially get us like it's what got us a 40 hour work week it could be what gets us a 34 hour work week you know or 30 or you know whatever 20 in the 42069 plan i was i want to um maybe i'll just put this out here now because i i we're going to be moving into the meme review after this but i (laughs) i have this idea for a meme earlier and i you just need what you need uh, three twenties, a five, and four ones, and you just say, "What if someone paid you for paid you this for one hour?" Which is in reference to that one where it's like seven dollars <laughs> and twenty five cents. It's just like the the other version, but there's sixty nine dollars in your hand. I want to see that one. Well, 
And oh, I think let's like not move on just yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. like you were pointing out, I think one of the key things about this and, and it, a big important way to differentiate between like, you know, how this is being reported sometimes is that this isn't like some benevolent gift that the government of, of Iceland just chose to, you know, bestow upon their workers. Right. Like they did this trial to see how it would do, but it was the unions that were the ones that did all the legwork to say, see, this works. You got to give this to everybody now. And they're yeah. the ones who went, who took it from 1% of Iceland's working population to now up to like 86%. Right. And, and so we can say, we can point to Iceland and be like, it worked there. It will work here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, like we've said before, there's a trial of, of similar trial of this underway in Spain. And there's also new trials of this underway in New Zealand. But I, yeah, there's, there's no reason why the union movement in every country shouldn't be pushing for this sort of thing, because there's no reason for us to accept like that the 40 hour work week is some holy thing that is right. this is the line and if you go below just, that the production falls apart so i, I mean like i'm a, just i want to make up a guy real quick just like the 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 idea that like someone would be mad like well you're just throwing it in the face of the mayday worker the mayday strike you know they they fought for 40 40 hour work week you know you can't fight <laughs> for less than that it'd be, it'd be <laughs> i mean like i don't know i can't wait for the like New York Times or Wall Street Journal think piece where it's like, could Iceland's 34-hour work week work in the United States? Probably not. Here's why. Spoiler, (laughs) Texas. Or like some other insane, like, just like non-answer to the question. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, you'll just... We already know what they would talk. They 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 would either not acknowledge it or talk about how you know oh that'll kill jobs somehow. Some, yeah, <laughs> something pro- productivity. Even though that's not a not even where we just said that that wasn't the case. Um, I think we should go to the meme review. I think it's about Absolutely. time that we get to Hell some yeah. memes and we do some. I especially love this person. I was getting distracted by it because of these smiling doctors. <laughs> Just like a, it's a, it's a, it's looks like a, like a Getty Images photo of of like a bunch of like medical staff standing, smiling, looking at the camera, and it says scientists have found a cure for fascism. And it, actually, the front doctor is just holding a baseball bat. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just like this. The aesthetic of it is nice. Yeah. In my experience, baseball bats work pretty good against fascism. Uh, you know, riot shields are another good one. Um, uh, gas masks are another good one. T-34s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, this picture just makes me think of like, you know, one of the those ads that you'll see for different private hospitals. It'll just be like, our, our incredibly... Uh, credentialed and hardworking healthcare staff are here to serve you. And I'm just imagining like the, like basically the, the Antifa health service version of that. Ad. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like our medics are here to serve you. And also, you know, bash the fash. That's right. <laughs> um, I had, uh, I think we referenced this meme earlier in the episode, this next one, which is a uh, Bobby Hill of King of the Hill one, you know, where he's like puts the sign up on the window for the classroom. But it's the sign on this one says, just because you don't recognize our union doesn't mean we don't have one. Cannot say it enough. That is so true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the, the guy takes the, the teacher guy takes the poster down and says, Principal Moss. Principal Moss. Yes. Uh, <laughs> says, if those 
and then it's crossed out where it would say kids. It says, if those bosses could read, they would be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, uh, uh, I like the uh, that this, this kind of gels with the title that you put for the last episode of the, we see this all the time, <laughs> because, mm-hmm. like, like, this is one of those things that, I mean, just for me is not actually, I hadn't really thought about things this way before joining the show and is one of the things that I I think really is important to, to be critical of even good labor reporting on this issue because it, it's, it's one of the most, you know, poorly discussed and, and I think misrepresented aspects of the labor movement is this idea that the only legitimate union is something that is like one of the big business unions you go through like the NLRB election and that's the only way anything else is like fake and it's like no unions are are workers standing together in solidarity and one, once you're doing that you have a union absolutely Absolutely. And our next <laughs> meme is just a, it's a throwback to the Trump era. It's from when Trump was handing that pe- sheet of paper to the guy interviewing him. And uh, he looked at it and it was literally basically like no notes at all. Am I remembering this incident correctly? <laughs> it, th- this is so this is from the probably the only useful thing that Axios has ever done in their existence <laughs> which was like during the pandemic when they they did a interview with Trump to try and be like Hey, so how come you're fucking up the COVID response so bad? <laughs> and 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 in the the classic boomer response of, hey, I printed a thing out from the internet, please look at it. Right. <laughs> He's like trying to hand, like, because basically the Axios interviewer was being like, well, I mean, the cases are going up, and so whatever we're doing isn't working. And he's like, no, 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 look at this chart that shows that I'm right. <laughs> and and the, the guy, even though, you know, this guy is very much just your standard centrist lib reporter, he like looks look down at the piece face. of paper it's just like what the fuck yeah a legendary look of confusion and befuddlement so in so the it's meme it's just panel. labeled yeah yeah it's just labeled that um facebook is handing this sheet of paper to the fbi and the fbi looks at it and uh the sheet of paper says they are proud of the extremist label and now they flooded the algorithm with memes referencing uh all of the extremist content warnings on facebook recently and the FBI just doesn't know what to do with this information, which I've got to think is probably true, right? Like, or they already knew that, like, there's just a billion and one fucking extremists out there. <laughs> like, right. Well, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, the the United States' electronic panopticon is essentially unescapable. But one of the things that can, you know, sometimes be useful in tripping up some of these automated systems is if you just flood them <laughs> with so much useless information, then yeah. that's more shit they have to sort through. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how are they even oh. going to know my politics when they have to sort through all of the big chunguses I've posted over the last five years? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and the weird thing is, is this is, it's, a, it's obviously their label imposed on us. So, you know, whatever the fuck they think, I don't give a damn because like, is it really such an extreme position to think that everybody should have food, health care, housing, and, and that we should, you know, I don't. I don't even think that getting rid of private property is really that extreme. But maybe that's just from where where I'm sitting. But Ooh, yeah. I don't know. This this sounds like uh, some dangerous radicalism right yeah, here. Yeah, I, I don't this know. Is, yeah. I, think, I think our episode is now going to get flagged. Lives. <laughs> yeah, our episode's now going to get flagged as ex- dangerous extremist content. Oh, they never listen past the seven minute mark to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and so. 
the next one here, this is one that uh, this is an oldie, but it it's a classic. Uh, this is from I, I think this is from Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Um, where <laughs> this is this is this came up in a discussion in the Discord, just on kind of a pet peeve that I have. <laughs> um, where you have the the one guy who's who's going. I'm all for ending this oppressive system, but only if we do it without violence. And then it, the second panel is cut into the other guy, giving him kind of a like, uh, I don't know about that look, saying, so by magic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, I mean, I think that it's one of the things that I've tried to have a, a, a kind of a slightly um, nuanced view on uh, the idea of like principled pacifism the idea that like you know you have to be able to defend yourself it's not like you just let someone kick your ass you know that's not what pacifism is but that's what pacifism is portrayed as it's like you know if you do anything at all that has any level of violence you're just as bad as the police that kill people and like that's absolutely untrue it's Kantian categorical imperative nonsense liberalism where it's like if there's a murderer outside your house and he asks if you're home, you shouldn't lie because lying is bad. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. If I see yeah. a company beating up on its workers, like I'm going to go fuck with them. If I see the police beating up on the citizenry, I'm going to go fuck with them. Like that's not that's pacifism is like that's destroying right. unnecessary aggressors and removing them from the world like in one way or another. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not advocating like, for violence. I'm just advocating for whatever gets rid of the violence. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, because that's the thing. Is like the capitalist system is built on horrific violence. It right. cannot exist. It cannot sustain itself without a a gig- a global system of incredible oppression. And so to stand, you know, back from that and say, well, Nope, we can't push back in any way other than, you know, occasionally going and standing on the sidewalk and saying, please change the system or voting or whatever. Right. Like that is unintentionally you are supporting the status quo by doing that. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. And I think that unintentionally that leads- or in many cases, totally intentionally. <laughs> right. That's yeah. also part of the way the cultural hegemony in this country works. Right. And it leads right into my favorite new image of, of like recent times. I saw this and I was just like, I love the glitchy aesthetic. Uh, so this is, um, this is just a, a person throwing a Molotov cocktail and, and it's got this really cool, like, uh, old school, like TV glitch with the colors fate, like morphing away from each other, probably done with like some automated glitch system or whatever, but Pixar it's still really on cool. somebody's phone. Yeah. yeah. But then, uh, the, the only text on it is just some like glow pink text that says chaotic good does not mean chaotic nice and i oh, yeah. and, and, and it reminds me of another one which I, I don't have this one up here in the notes but it's like uh you know i i have seen nice people there were there were nazis that lived next to my grandmother that were super nice you know like that's the thing is like nice like the people who are against the system they're not necessarily the nice people and like you know what it sucks to suck like well yeah like, there's nice- no reason to be nice in the face of all this bullshit nice doesn't mean good you know it's like there are so many like why do we even have the the whole trope in media of like a a lawful evil villain who's like orderly and polite and like kind to children and animals but at heart is like a vicious fucking monster who destroys lives because those people fucking exist in the world (laughs) they're everywhere they run major corporations in the united states (laughs) too yeah, they're, they're running they're every senators. Fortune 500 company. Yeah, they're, they're senators, they're venture capitalists, they're hedge fund managers. Like they fucking they're out there. They run the country. Like 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that both of these are really just getting at one of the most frustrating things about liberalism, which is the fact that it prioritizes the suppression of conflict over the pursuit of justice. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the biggest problems with it. And that's why, like, if we ever want anything to get better, like, that's not the route to solve it. And, mm-hmm. and we got to think outside that box. Right. Well, on that note, uh, that is the episode for today. Uh, remember, we're entirely listener supported. So if you'd like to support us, give us $5 on Patreon, patreon.com slash workstoppage. Jump in our Discord. Uh, share it with your friends. Follow John on uh, Twitter at Facebook Villain. Uh, listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, Red Game Table, and uh, importantly, based on what we were just talking about, you know, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity, everybody. (laughs) 